We've begun our 40 days of prayer again this year. Uh, I don't know how much you remember of last year's 40 days of prayer, but uh, I enjoyed it last year, and and like I said earlier, I'm looking forward to this year as well. This is going to be our sermon series for the next five weeks, uh, today and and the next five weeks. Uh, and you might ask, why would we spend so much time on prayer? Uh, now, you might not say that out loud because you want to be a good Christian and, and, and you, know, you don't want to make it seem like you don't like prayer, but why would we focus so much time on prayer? The reality is, if we're honest, most people spend very little time and very little effort in prayer. Uh, it's unfortunate, but it's a reality. If you feel like every time we talk about prayer, you feel like a guilt rest over you because you, you know that you just don't do it as much as you should, uh, just know you're in good company. Uh, most people don't. Uh, most people don't. Uh, I've, I've encountered very, very few people who I say, how's your prayer life? And they say, oh, it's amazing. It's great. I love doing it. I spend a lot of time in it. I'm satisfied by my prayer life. It's, it's wonderful. Very few times. Uh, and, of course, there are a few people who have that humble, you know, they spend a lot of time in prayer, but they always think they could do more, and that's fine. Uh, but I think the reality for most of us is we don't focus on it enough. And the, uh, the other reality is it's useless for me to sit up here and say, you should pray more, you should pray more, you should pray more. Uh, to me, prayer is, is kind of a byproduct. And that's a little bit of what we're talking about today. You can see that our focus of today is reawakening to the glory of Christ. And my firm belief is when we have a vibrant relationship with Christ, when we truly understand certain things about Him, His glory being one of those things, prayer becomes a byproduct of that. We don't have to force it. We don't have to try to make it a part of our life. It just becomes part because we're so enamored with Him, because we are so in love with Jesus. One of my favorite Bible verses reminds me uh, frequently of how important it is to pray. Philippians chapter 4, verse 6 says, don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything. Tell God what you need and thank Him for all He has done. Uh, Doug, thank you for sharing what you shared uh, before that song. Uh, this is one of my verses for anxiety. You know, when, when I feel like, because I'm a, I'm a control person, I like to have control, and when I want to have control and I know I don't or there's not a reasonable expectation of control, I, I go back to verses like this. Uh, don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything. Tell God what you need and thank Him for all He has done. And, and for me, this verse has always reminded me that prayer should begin in thankfulness. Because as I begin to thank God for all He has done, my problems seem to melt away. As I thank Him for like so many big things, first off, the fact that I'm a Christian in the first place, the fact that He reached into uh, the enemy's camp and pulled me out, He took me from an eternity in hell and put me into an eternity in heaven, that's a big deal. And so my little problem, whatever it is, how, no matter how big it is, it's nothing compared to that. And so as I begin to thank Him for all He's done, my anxiety starts to, it starts to wear down as I remember, man, God's got this. So I, I love that verse. It reminds me how important prayer is. Some of us have very well-worn paths to the throne room of God. Some of you are, are fantastic prayer warriors. I know my wife and I benefit greatly. Our whole family benefits greatly from some of your prayer lives, and we feel that. We experience that. Some of you love to pray, and you're good at it. You love to spend time in the presence of God. You have a deep and passionate relationship with Him, and that's amazing. You know what it is to lean into the presence 
and the power of God. When there's a problem, He's the one you go to. When, when something's not going right, He's where you go. When things are going really good, He's where you go. When you wake up in the morning, it's to Him that you go. And that is an amazing thing. And I don't, I don't want to discount. I don't always want us to say, oh, you know, none of us are doing this right. I think some of you are probably doing this and could teach classes on this because you know what it is to spend time with the Father. But there's also a big difference between private prayer and corporate prayer. There's a significant difference. Some of us are really, really good at private prayer, but we've never really engaged in corporate prayer. Some of us have only engaged in corporate prayer, and we don't know what it's like to have a private prayer life. There are benefits to both of those areas of prayer, and I think we should engage both of those with passion. We're told to pray about everything. We just read that verse. But it doesn't mean to pray alone. That's not the intention of Scriptures to say, uh, when you pray, always pray by yourself. Uh, We certainly don't see that in Scripture. Uh, The early church made corporate prayer a core part of how they built their movement. Uh, If you don't know about the early church, when Jesus dies on the cross, uh, the, the Scriptures tell us there's about 120 people that gather in this room. Now, I don't know if any of you have ever been, anybody else ever been to Israel? Just me? It's pretty awesome. Y'all should go. We need to plan a trip. We need to get that going, get that together. Uh, It was life-changing when I went to Israel. But one of the things I noticed is, especially when you're looking at old buildings, they don't have a ton of space. Uh, They're not built like our houses are. They're generally pretty small. And so just imagine 120 people crammed into definitely not the size of the sanctuary. I don't know how big that room was, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to bet that it wasn't this big. And so you got this 120 people crammed together. Uh, Jesus has been around uh, 40 days, uh, you know, after three days, Jesus rises. He walks around for 40 days with them, but he's not always there. Like he's, it's not like he's leading the prayer meetings there. But we find um, through Scripture that uh, they spend a lot of that time praying. Do you, do you know, anybody know, a little quiz for you this morning. How many days from when Jesus dies on the cross till Pentecost? When fire falls. I'll give you a hint. Pent means what? Five. If you know the Pentateuch is the first five books. So 50, 50 days. That way you'll always remember it now. Uh, Pentecost is 50 days. So you take three off of, you know, when, when, after Christ dies, and then there's 40 days. And so there's basically a week from when Jesus ascends back into heaven until Pentecost. And we find they spend the majority of that time in prayer. But even beyond that, after Pentecost, it's not like, oh, the Holy Spirit fell. We don't need prayer anymore. They realized, if anything, okay, now we can really pray. Now the Holy Spirit joins us in this prayer movement, and now we pray, not just us, but God in and through us is praying, and and this whole thing takes root in the early church. Look at Acts chapter 2, verse 42. It says, all the believers devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to fellowship, to sharing in meals, including the Lord's Supper, and to prayer. There's these four core aspects of the church, and, and if you Google it, or I don't know, I don't know, you probably find it if you Google it. Uh, a lot of people have based like church development on these four principles. If you just focus on these four things, man, you can grow a church. 
The early church did it, and I believe each of these four things has a lot to teach us. Anybody else who would like to see God move in Dubois like He moved in the early church? I'm with you. I would love to see that. I would love to see God move in ways that every day, it says, people are being added to their number. Now, I don't care how many people fill our pews. That's not what's important, but the kingdom of God is what's important. The fact that every day would be awesome if somebody in Dubois came to know Jesus every single day of 2022. That would be an awesome prayer. What if instead of dabbling in, we devoted ourselves to biblical teaching, to fellowship, to sharing meals together, and to prayer? And what if you just took 2022 and said, you know what, those four things, I'm not just going to dabble in, I'm going to devote myself to them. This is going to be the year that I devote myself to biblical teaching, that I'm going to dive in, that, uh, that, that you would get to a point where Sunday morning sermons... Uh, I don't think I'm that good to begin with, but uh, that it just wouldn't be enough. They say, well, you know, Sunday morning, that's, that's, you know, I preach. I tend to go about 45 minutes. Uh, that 45 minutes isn't enough for me. I need more. And so you start to, uh, you know, if you don't have Right Now Media, you should. And you start to dive into things like Right Now Media or into other teachers and, and other things and say, I- I'm devoting myself to biblical teaching. I want to grow. And, and maybe you even make yourself a list of, of things you want to study in 2022, things you want to uh, devote yourself to uh, in teaching. And you say, you know what, I'm also going to devote myself to fellowship. I'm going to create spaces. I'm going to enter spaces where I can fellowship with other believers. You know, I look around on a Sunday morning, and I see faces I don't know, and I'm going to change that. My, my goal is by the end of 2022, I'm going to know every single person in our church by name. And not, not just because I say hi to them on a Sunday, but because I invite them into my house, or uh, we go out to lunch, or we, we do something together because fellowship's going to be a big deal for me. Or sharing in meals together. It's kind of the same, similar to fellowship, but um, you can kind of kill two birds with one stone right there if you want. And say, I'm, gonna, I'm not just going to dabble in this. I'm going to devote myself to this. I'm gonna, I'm gonna, my goal is to share meals with as many people as I can this year that are in our church family. I'm going to share meals with people. When we have a meal at the church, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to try to sit with somebody new, somebody different. Instead of sitting with the same people I always sit with, I'm going to share a meal with somebody else. I've never shared a meal with that person. And you know what? I'm going to devote myself to prayer. To make this a year that prayer becomes a, a core part of who I am. Now, while all four of these areas I believe are worth pursuing, for the next 40 days, we're going to be focusing on prayer. Specifically, we'll be focusing on prayer. This year's theme for our 40 days of prayer is reawakening to Christ. The aim of this 40-day focus is to fix our gaze on Jesus. Remember who He is, what He has done, what He has given us to do, and what He will do in the future. Now, I highly recommend that you sign up through the link that was sent uh, through the app. There was a link that was sent out um, encouraging you to sign up for the uh, weekly emails and devotionals and stuff for the 40 days of prayer. If you missed it, um, if you don't know, if you go to the top, top right corner of your app when you open it up, um, you can go back to all previous notifications you've ever received. There's like a little inbox there. However, there's another one that will go out today at 12 o'clock, uh, and so you'll have another opportunity to click that link, sign up for those, because what that is is uh, I think they're coming out on Saturdays. I got, I got another one yesterday. Uh, they'll come out, on, you'll get an email every Saturday with a video and a devotional that specifically uh, ties to that week's focus. Now, we're going to kind of be a week behind, so 
yesterday I got an email with a devotional for next Sunday's sermon. So we're kind of a week behind on the sermon series, but that's okay. God will still move. Uh, but I encourage you, you know, put your email in there and get those emails. You're not going to get a bunch of spam mail from them. It's specifically for the 40 days of prayer, and you'll get those uh, notifications, and every week you'll get those. And there's also a Wednesday evening prayer gathering, which you'll see is if you click that link. Um, that's something else you can join through the, and, you know, it's, it's alliance-wide. It's not just for our church or even just for our district, but it's alliance-wide. So if you want to kind of see what, you know, what else is God doing in our denomination, you know, through the whole country, that's something you can do. Uh, if you don't know, there are devotionals uh, that'll come out each week in six, the six different categories, and they're specifically for adults, there's some for youth, and there's some for kids. So you can tie the whole family into this thing and make this a family ordeal over the next 40 days, and you can really focus your whole family on prayer and on the themes that we're talking about. So I really encourage you to do that. Now, to discuss our theme for this year's 40 Days of Prayer, what does it mean to reawaken to Christ? Well, first, I think it would help us if we define what is the definition of reawaken. Uh, it is to emerge or cause to emerge again with reference to a feeling or state or renewal of a feeling or interest. So it's a verb. Reawaken is a verb. It's an action word. If you don't know what verbs are, if you never played Mad Libs as a kid, uh, you missed out. But this is a verb. It's not, uh, this is something that's actually happening. This is something we do that happens to us that we engage in. Historically, there have been times in the church, some of you, uh, if you know your church history, you know there are things that have been referred to as awakenings. Um, and we, we were really talented, the church, uh, one of the things we're really good at is naming things. So uh, we came up with really cool names like the first awakening and the second great awakening, uh, really good at naming those. Uh, it's sarcastic, okay? Uh, they just named them first and second, uh, Great Awakenings. But if you know your church history, if you don't, research those. Pretty cool. It's amazing to see what God did through the first and second Great Awakenings here in the U.S. Um, there was the spiritual resurgence, uh, somebody uh, cool got to name that one, under Moody, Sankey, and Spurgeon in the U.S. Uh, and England. That one spread to England uh, in, the, in the 19th century. So uh, awakenings have happened all over the world, not just in the U.S. But these can be described as times of deep hunger for Jesus, deep hunger for His presence in our lives, for His Word, for His Spirit, and for His gospel. These are uh, significant movements that didn't just uh, stay in one church or in one town, but they moved all over these movements. Spiritual awakenings assume that the previous period is a time of sleep. To awaken means that the, you kind of have to be asleep to wake up, um, to awaken. It's, it's uh, to have an awakening, awakening, the previous period, uh, is marked by a lack of deep hunger for Jesus' presence, His Word, His Spirit, and His gospel in the culture. Sound familiar? Anybody? Look around at the culture we have today. Do you see a, a deep hunger for the presence and the power of God for His Holy Spirit? When you look at the church, kind of church-wide, not just our church, but all, all churches, do, does it seem like church as a whole has, has a deep hunger for God, His Word, His power, 
I think, in my opinion, as we look, obviously there are churches who have a deep hunger and, and thirst for these things. But as a whole, it's kind of like, man, as the church has just kind of become about attendance. We come, we sit, we hear, uh, sometimes we snooze a little, and then we go home. And that's church. Like that's, that's what we think church is. That's, that's what it's supposed to be. And if, if we're like ultra-Christians and maybe we serve in children's ministry or the nursery or we sing on the worship team if we have that gift, um, but other than that, you know, church is just about attendance. That's a lack of a deep hunger for Jesus' presence, His Word, His Spirit, His Gospel. So how does an awakening begin? How, do, how does the church wake up? How, how does this whole process begin? Well, personal reformation in our private lives through spiritual disciplines. Uh, you can't have a great awakening if individuals aren't moved first. It doesn't happen corporately before it happens in individuals. Look at every great awakening, and there are people, individuals. It's, it starts it always starts small in, in individuals who, who just fall desperately in love with Jesus. And they, they begin through just that, that sheer love and that power. They begin, that begins to spread to other people. But it begins in our private lives. And if you don't know, it usually, almost always, I could maybe make the point for 100% of the time, it starts with repentance. That's what hits first. A repentance, not just for private, privately uh, repenting, but corporate repentance. Where we say, oh, uh, we start to, we begin to repent not just for our own sins, but we see the sins uh, of our maybe our local church family and the church as a whole and our and our culture, and we, we we begin to be burdened by that. And repentance begins to fuel this thing. Now there are three categories, uh, and some would say maybe um, these happen successively. That um, starts with one and it moves to the others. But the first stage is renewal. A fresh energy comes, into, uh, comes first into us personally and then corporately into the church. Individuals start to get moved by the Holy Spirit, and that fire begins to spread. And, and, and as, a, as a corporate body, the church begins to get really excited about what God's going to do. And so we maybe call that spiritual renewal. And then this thing that many people talk about, we even sang about it this morning, we call revival happens. And that's an acceleration of the work of the Spirit in us and in the church. Now, many people pray for revival. I don't hear a lot of people praying for reawakening. And that's not to say that uh, reawakening is greater than revival, but uh, revival, uh, how many of you have ever gone to a revival meeting not at a church? Probably didn't happen. Revival meetings mostly happen at a church. Uh, for some of you, you, when you think of revival meeting, you think of a big white tent. Um, tent meetings, revival meetings, that was a big deal. Uh, that's where they happen. The next stage, some would argue, and I, I, I would agree with this, is awakening. It's what God is doing in the church begins to spill out into the culture, and the world is changed. Now, I think it's amazing. It's, it's a great thing. Pray for revival. But I think also Pray that it goes beyond revival to reawakening. In, in, in a way, I could almost argue revival is kind of selfish for the church because revival is great because it fills the pews and people get excited and people are excited to be here and, and you know, people want to serve and everything goes really good inside the church. But if that's where it stays, that's not good enough. 
I want a reawakening. I want what happens here to start spilling out into the culture of our town and, and our area, and it begins to affect the culture. That's what these great, the first and second great awakenings, that's what was so significant, is it didn't stay in the church. It changed the culture of America. That's what's so powerful about it. And, and my argument will always be what happens in this place is not enough. It has to spill out. If all that God ever does is happens in this place, it's just not enough. We should be excited. We should be thrilled that God moves in this place because it's not going to happen out there unless it happens in here. And so we want it to happen in here. But this is kind of like a staging area for what God is going to do in our culture and in our town and our areas and our environments and our workplaces and our neighborhoods. That's an awakening. And that's what I pray for us. Habakkuk chapter 3, verse 2. If you're looking for, you know, okay, how do I pray this into existence? I like to pray Scripture. Uh, it's one of the great guides for prayer. Habakkuk chapter 3, verse 2. It says, I have heard all about you, Lord. I am filled with awe by your amazing works. In this time of our deep need, help us again as you did in years gone by. And in your anger, remember your mercy. Whew, that's a good one. You pray that over our town Pray that over our country, because unless you literally live in a cave, you might not know that we're in great need. We are in great need for God to show up. Our culture has gone so far away from Him that to live the Christian uh, worldview, to, to live the Christian way is, is seen as, as, as hateful and evil, where 50 years ago, we used to share a lot of our culture. The culture outside the church and inside the church shared a lot of things. It's not, so, it's not the case anymore. We're in deep need. What a great prayer that God would show up as He has in the past. Not the same way. It'll always look different. Look at the, again, it does, you know, if, if you like history, do your research on the first and second great awakenings. Some similarities, a lot of differences as well. Because God generally doesn't, doesn't move in the same way twice because He wants us not dependent on a method, but dependent on Him and what He's going to do. If you have been following along with the devotionals, you did sign up and, and you watched the videos. Uh, the first one last Saturday uh, was led by John Stumbo, who is the president of the Christian Missionary Alliance for the U.S. Um, he led that video, and he talks about how important it is that we recognize the glory of of Christ. It's great that we focus on the humanity of Christ and the reality of what we celebrate during Christmas time. I mean, I love Christmas and I love celebrating the fact that Jesus came to this earth as a human being. Without that hope, then we really have nothing. There's no reason for us to gather. If, if Christ didn't come and He didn't die on the cross, then we're all still on our way to hell and there's no way to be rescued. And so it's an awesome thing to, to think about that. Uh, he, he came, Christ came to, the, to this earth in a humble way. He lived a humble life, and He died in a humiliating way. Humiliation was a part of His life and was a, certainly a part of His death. He lived His entire life in a humble way. What maybe sometimes we forget is this is truly remarkable because it contrasts the incredible majesty and the glory of Christ's nature. It wouldn't be a big deal if, if Christ was always humble, like if He was always lowly, but that's not who He is. 
He came here in that, in that state. He spent 33 years on this earth in that state. He died on this earth in that state. But that's not who he is. He's majestic. He's glorious. He's God incarnate. That's why it's such a big deal that he did that. There was a moment even when Jesus was in his human state here on this earth where three disciples get to see just a small fraction of his glory. What do we call that? John, he's good. The transfiguration, nice fancy word for you this morning. If you were looking for a $5 word, there you go. The transfiguration, it refers to this portion of Scripture in Matthew chapter 17, verses 1 to 8. It says, six days later, Jesus took Peter and the two brothers, James and John, and led them up a high mountain to be alone. As the men watched Jesus, appearance was transformed so that his face shone like the sun and his clothes became as white as light. Suddenly Moses and Elijah appeared and began talking with Jesus. Peter exclaimed, Lord, it's wonderful for us to be here. If you want, I'll make three shelters as memorials, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. I love, I love Peter because, man, that guy's mouth always moved before his brain did. Like, he saw this amazing sight, and his first thought is that these angelic beings, guys who he knows have been dead for like hundreds of years, they're going to want a shack built by Peter. Like, Yes, in my glory, that's what I'm looking for, is a shack built by Peter, who wasn't a carpenter, by the way. He was a fisherman. Uh, but like, he just, he's so moved. Like, if you ever listen to the song, I can only imagine, Peter should have sang that song because like, he's standing in, in a fraction of the glory of Christ, and he doesn't know what to do. And so, like, I mean, I don't blame him. I, it's like, what do you do in this moment? It says it's Christ's face shone like the sun. Any of you ever done the sun stare thing? Try to see how long you can stare at the sun? It doesn't work very well, and you can't see for a couple days. Some of you are wearing glasses because you did it too much. Uh, his face shone like the sun. It says his clothes were bright like light. Not a normal Wednesday. That was a different occurrence. They were up on this mountain, and only three disciples got to see this, and everything, their reality changes. If you've been watching The Chosen, which I hope you have because it's so cool, um, you can see these guys weren't special. Like, they weren't these amazing theologians. It's not like from day one they totally got it, and they were just totally in sync with Jesus. These were knuckleheads who didn't really know what they were doing or how to do it, and yet they get to view the glory of Christ in a contained and humble way even yet. Continues. But even as he spoke, a bright cloud overshadowed them, and a voice from the cloud said, This is my dearly loved Son, who brings me great joy. Listen to Him. So not only are they viewing the glory of Christ in their, with their eyes, but now God the Father begins to speak, and it changes them even more. Then it says, The disciples were terrified. And fell face down on the ground. Then Jesus came over and touched them. Get up, he said. Don't be afraid. And when they looked up, Moses and Elijah were gone. And they saw only Jesus. Man, I, I guarantee you that's a story they told other people. And now, as they come off the mountain, Jesus tells them, don't tell anybody about this until I'm risen from the dead. But you know as soon as they could, they told everybody they could about that story. Because that's incredible. They got to see the glory of Christ in a, in, a, in a fraction of it. 
But it's more than anybody else has seen, more than any of the other disciples, more. It moved them. It says, you know, first Peter, you know, what, what should I do? Should I build stuff? And then he just falls on his face when God the Father talks. And, and when we understand that this is not, I can't, you can't even put a percentage to it. 0.00001% of God's glory they got to see. I mean, it was nothing compared to his actual glory. And yet it moved them so much. Jesus existed before the creation of the world. Remember, when, when, I, when I say, to, if I were to say to you, think about Jesus, picture Jesus right now. 99% of us are going to picture the humble human being who walked on this earth. It's just how we function. That's, that's part of it. But those 33 years are, are a, a whisper compared to the rest of Christ's existence. You can't even measure it because he, he never became, He never came into existence. He'll never end. Jesus is eternal God. And sometimes we forget that when we picture Jesus and we picture Him with His beard and, you know, some ruddy clothes and walking down, He's dirty and whatnot. Like, that's not who Jesus is. That's who He became for a very small period of time to rescue humanity. And it's okay to picture Him that way. But we also need to remember He is the glorious God incarnate. In Genesis, we hear God the Father in, in Genesis one twenty six says, Then God said, this is God the Father, Let us make human beings in our image to be like us. They will reign over the fish in the sea, the birds in the sky, the livestock, all the wild animals on the earth, and, and the small animals that scurry along the ground. Us, God the Father says. He's not talking to some buddies that were watching him work. He's talking to Jesus, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. He says, let's make them like us. Before Jesus ever became like us, we became like Him. And we forget that sometimes. It's great that we celebrate God came like us. But hold on, let's back the story up. We became like Him. We were made in His image. He didn't come in our image. We were designed, created in His image, in the image of God who with God the Father and God the Holy Spirit created everything in existence. Everything that we know, time itself, reality as we know it was created by God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. They brought it all into reality. It is impossible to have a reawakening without acknowledging the glory of Christ. How can we awaken if we don't truly understand just how awesome God is. That's what will drive us to our knees and realize, God, I need more of you. If he's just a buddy, if he's just a vending machine to us, there's not going to be an awakening. We need to understand his glory, which is why we're discussing the glory of Christ today. Many times when we think of Jesus, we can only think of that earthly, his earthly ministry Sometimes we can fail to remember while he was a hundred percent man, he was also a hundred percent God. And if you're really poor at math, those don't really add up. And that's okay. I don't want a God I can fully understand. Because if I can fully understand him, I don't think it's God. I came out of being a Jehovah Witness, and that's part of what they do is they try to make God understandable. And so they, they have to, obviously, they have to strip Jesus of his deity because that doesn't, doesn't make any sense, how you can be 100% God, 100% man. 
And so they do a lot of those things, and they make everything try to make sense, and it's like, cool, but that doesn't sound like God. It makes sense, but why would God make sense? He's so far beyond us. He shouldn't always make sense. God was 100% man and 100% God. He didn't just come into existence when He was born as a human, but Jesus appears all over the Old Testament. If you've never researched that, do that. Do you know what it's called when Jesus appears in the Old Testament? Anybody? I, wait, I thought I heard it. Ah, uh, it's a term for it, but the official theological term, give you another $5 word, is Christophany, okay? Theophany is when God in general shows up, and some would argue there is no such thing as a difference between the theophany and Christophany, that any time that it says God is seen in the Old Testament, it's always Jesus, because there's another scripture that says no one has actually seen God the Father face to face and lived. So anytime like when God walks through the, we just read this in our, in our Bible reading where God walks through the sacrifices of Moses and he puts things on both sides and, and God walks through, that was Jesus walking through. But there's many instances, if you ever see in the Old Testament, like when uh, an angel, it says the, the, uh, head, the head of heaven's armies is, stands before Joshua and Joshua falls on his face and begins to worship. Now, an angel wouldn't be allowed to do that. Obviously, this is, this is God showing up. And many would say that was Jesus. Now, obviously, they don't call him Jesus because they don't know uh, that. But this is Jesus showing up over the, uh, over the Old Testament. And I love this, the reading plan that we're doing this year. I, I've, I change it up every year when I do my reading plans. And uh, I, I like this one because it helps you to connect the Jesus of the New Testament with Jesus of the Old Testament because guess what? They're the same person. He existed way before writing was even created. He existed before this world was ever even a, a fraction of a molecule. Jesus existed. He didn't change and become Jesus the human. He has always been and He will always be. One of the terms uh, used to refer to Jesus is the Word. If you don't know that, um, there's more new information for you. In John chapter 1, verses 1 to 4, it says, In the beginning, the Word, and, and what this is referring to is Jesus, already existed. The Word was with God, and the Word was God. He existed in the beginning with God. God created everything through Him, and nothing was created except through Him. The Word gave life to everything that was created, and His life brought light to everyone. Now, I don't know about you, but even in the beginning of creation, this was true. But this became even more true for us when we came to know Him as Savior. His life brought light to everyone as He died on the cross. Have you ever stopped for a minute to think about the reality that Christ has no beginning? Like, it, He never came into existence. There was just never, there has never been a time where he didn't exist. If you want to stay up late one night and not get any sleep, try thinking about that some night as you lay there. The reality that everything we know, we can't as human beings, we can't fathom fully what it means to not have a beginning. Everything we know has a beginning. Everything we know came into existence at some point. So to process this fact that Jesus doesn't have a beginning, he has always existed. Nothing brought him into existence. He's simply always been. 
that's just a part of the glory of Christ, is that He is so far beyond us. We could spend the rest of our life, we could, we could get a thousand lifetimes to process who He is, and we would barely understand just a fraction of it because He's so incredible and His glory is so great. So just an honest question, you don't have to raise your hand or answer this out loud, obviously, but do you desire to see the glory of Christ? I don't know if any of you have ever uh, been asked the question, you know, uh, leading youth group for many years, yeah, icebreaker questions. If, you know, if you're a youth leader and you don't know like a thousand icebreaker questions, uh, you need to re-examine your life uh, because it's just part of what you do. And one of, the, one of the ones would be, you know, if you could go back to any period in time, what would it be? And, you know, everybody's, you know, especially if you ask that in church, people got a lot of, uh, you know, churchy answers for that maybe. But man, one of those would be like, I want to go to that mountain when the glory of Christ was present. Could you imagine standing on that mountain, you know, and being with those three disciples and seeing just a fraction of Christ's glory displayed? I guarantee you'd never live the same again. Your life would never be the same if you viewed that. As we collectively spend time reawakening to the glory of Christ, what things can we do to see and experience the glory of Christ. Think about that. As, as you process, okay, what is my week going to look like this week? What things can we do to see and experience the glory of Christ? Not many of you. I would maybe argue none of you have a time machine. So going back to the Mount of Transfiguration, probably not a, a reality for you. But that doesn't mean that we don't get to see the glory of Christ. In 1904, God used a missionary, if you've never heard of this guy named John Hyde. Anybody ever heard of John Hyde? Okay, some of you history people have. I'm not surprised that the Harbridges have heard of John Hyde. He, God used him to fuel a reawakening. He was one man. He wasn't exceptionally gifted. It wasn't like he was the, the best speaker of his time or the most amazing uh, orator or, or researcher. He, he had the highest IQ of any person that's ever existed. None of that. But his prayer life inspired a group of missionaries in their prayer lives. In India, where he served for some time, those around him called him the man who never sleeps. That was like his title because it seemed like he spent so much time in prayer that he didn't even take time to sleep. The guy was just always in prayer. One man's life, one man's prayer life, spread to a small group which, smed, which spread to an awakening. The missionaries around him became known as the Punjab Prayer Union. And they were asked to follow five simple principles by the man they knew as Praying Hyde. That's just how they knew him, Praying Hyde. And you know how some people probably don't even know my last name. They just call me Pastor Bruce. They don't realize I have a last name. That was kind of him. He was pa Instead of Pastor Hyde, he was praying Hyde. But these are the five principles. Are you praying for quickening in your own life, in the life of your fellow workers, and in the church? That was the first thing they had to commit to. Are you praying for quickening in your own life, in the life of your fellow workers, and in the church? The second one. Are you longing for greater power of the Holy Spirit in your own life and work? And are you convinced that you cannot go on 
without this power. These are some pretty profound statements this morning that I want you to get a hold of. And if you're a note taker, I'd highly encourage you to take notes on this. Because these are some good questions for your own prayer life. Not just this week, not just these 40 days, but for the rest of your life. Number three, will you pray that you may not be ashamed of Jesus? That in any circumstance, whether it's work, whether it's family, whether it's wherever you might be, and God brings you an opportunity, would shame not come into the picture? The next one, do you believe that prayer is the great means for securing this spiritual awakening? I promise you, there is no sermon that can be preached that's good enough to start an awakening. It's not going to happen. Because it has to happen in our personal lives first. And a sermon's not going to move us all individually into this great place of awakening. It requires consistent, disciplined following of Jesus and falling in love with Him and beginning to seek this. God never works in an instant in, in these awakenings. It's not like, oh, yeah, well, on Wednesday someone decided that they love Jesus and on Friday the great awakening started. That's not how it works. God wants these things to, to, to grow deeply into the culture of a group of people and that begins to spread out. The next one, the last one. Will you set apart one half hour each day as soon after noon as possible to pray for this awakening? And are you willing to pray until the awakening comes? Five principles he asked them to commit to. These are pretty powerful things because he was set this was going to happen, and it did. God used them to fuel this awakening. And you might think like, oh, yeah, that was great for them. Man, we're in, I would argue, in maybe even more, more desperate need for an awakening today. And I believe God wants to do a work like this. Maybe, I don't know, maybe we'll call it the third great awakening. We'll, you know, we'll be creative in naming it. But something needs to happen. And maybe the person who's going to start that is in this room or watching somewhere on their couch. God is moving in your heart and, 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 and He's lighting that fire and saying, yeah, you remember how I've been talking to you about this for a while? Let's do this. Doesn't have to, you don't need to have a small group that, that, that's part of it. This guy, John Hyde, he was doing this long before the Punjab Prayer Union began. He was a man devoted to prayer long before even a group of people got a hold of it. And there's no telling when that's going to happen. How many of those principles are you willing to commit to in your life? What if you were known as praying John? He was known as praying Hyde, praying John, praying Fawn, praying Mike. That was your nickname because it just seemed like that's all you do, is you just seek the face of God, and you just want Him to move in such a way that people would call you the, the man, the woman that never sleeps because you're so desperately pursuing Jesus for something. Could it be that an awakening to the glory of Christ in our personal lives is necessary to bring about the next great awakening in our world? What if God is saying, man, if this one person would just turn, I'm waiting for them, because they're the catalyst I'm going to use for the next great awakening. Because I promise you, this guy Hyde was nothing special. There wasn't anything great about him. He didn't come from like a great line of these amazing preachers or anything like that. He was just a guy who fell desperately in love with Jesus and started praying. 
and realized prayer is the only way this thing's going to happen. And so he just prayed, and he prayed, and he prayed harder, and he prayed more, and he prayed longer, and he prayed harder, and God began to move. John Hyde was one man. Wasn't his great missionary abilities or his great theological debating ability or some great training program that he had mastered. Matter of fact, his brother, you would think like, wow, you know, his family probably was so amazing. His brother went on the mission field, got sick, came home, died a couple days later. I mean, I'm, and I'm, I'm guessing that he prayed for the healing to happen and it didn't happen. So it's not like, yeah, everything he prayed for happened exactly the way he wanted. But he kept praying. It was his prayer life, which was so vibrant and so strong, some people thought he never even slept. Can we pray that the glory of Christ would fall on our lives and from us to our church and from our church to our community and from our community to the world because that's what an awakening looks like. I encourage you for the remainder of these 40 days, we're going to gather on Thursday nights for prayer. We're going to do some worship. We're going to do some praying. We're going to pray these themes each week. I encourage you to join us Thursdays, 6 p.m. We'll be praying right here in this room and asking God to do something. And now, I don't know how long that'll go on for. I know we'll at least do it through these 40 days. But my prayer, my hope, is that there will be some of us that get a hold of this and say, you know what, I'm not giving up. I'm just going to pray until this thing happens. I'm going to pray first uh, that there would be renewal. And when renewal starts to hit, man, I'm going to start praying for revival. And when revival hits, I'm going to start praying for reawakening. And I'm not giving up until we have it. That's my hope, my prayer. But join us Thursdays at 6 p.m. for that as we seek to reawaken to Christ. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you that we serve the risen Savior. We serve the God who was, who is, and who has no end. The Alpha, the Omega. The one true God. I thank you that we don't have to go back in time to get a view of your glory. That today we can experience your glory. We can see you. Lord, I pray that through dreams and through visions in our people that you would, you would show them fractions of your glory that we would see that because I believe that happens. And Lord, I pray that in our, in our disciplined prayer lives that we would begin uh, to fall desperately in love with prayer. Whatever that looks like for each of us, whether that's going on walks, whether that's sitting in a closet and praying, whether, whether, whatever it looks like, Lord, I pray each of us would fall in love with prayer that it would become a part of who we are, become a core of our life. And Lord, we pray for renewal. We pray for revival. We pray for a reawakening to happen. Because God, we want to see your glory revealed, not just in our personal lives, not just in our churches, and not just in our communities, but to the ends of this earth, God. Would you move in a way that moves multitudes Lord, I pray that you would move each of us, that we would each be moved by your glory. Reawaken us. Every, any aspect of our Christian life that we've fallen asleep on or, or, or just taken a break, Lord, would you light that fire in our hearts? We see you for who you really are. and Would we worship you? 
for how good you are. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. I encourage you, folks on the glory of Christ this week. Join us Thursday. Have a good week.